0: What would it look like for every one of your prayers to be fulfilled? Just imagine if every time that you prayed, God answered and did what you prayed for. Now I understand many of us have prayers that are asked very immaturely. You know, I used to pray for a lot of dumb things, especially in high school, maybe even Going back to junior high, some of the prayers I would ask I mean, things I asked for God for um, were not the things that were best for me, you know. As a little kid, you just want, you want cookies, you want dessert, you want ice cream, you want whatever, and I guess when you're 26 years old, you still want those things, and it's not necessarily good for you to always have what you want all the time, and that's the good thing about prayer is that God doesn't just give you what you want, but he knows what's best for you. But something there is something about prayer that's very telling and that is when you pray you get insight into what's really going on in your heart so when I'm in high school and I'm praying for a girlfriend because I'm just you know I listen to too much emo music and I'm a sap and I watch some chick flick and I probably shouldn't have watched it because I'm like a 17 year old male Um, and then go pray for whatever relationship or whatever. Even though the relationship may not be good for me, it gives a little bit of insight into what's going on in my heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's interesting is when we approach John chapter 17, we come to what is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, The greatest, may I I add, the greatest recorded prayer in the entire Bible. And that's because it's from the mouth of Jesus for his people. So what's cool about this chapter, apart from any other chapter in the Bible, is that you get insight into the heart of God. Because you see what he's praying for out loud. So what we see in that is three things. Number one, he prays for the glorification of God, he prays for the mission of his church, and the unification of his church, of his people. Those are the three main aspects that we're going to cover this evening. And I think it's so encouraging that Jesus actually prays for us. We read in the Bible that Jesus continually intercedes, in other words, he prays on our behalf to the Father. I can only imagine the things that we would go through if Jesus was not continually praying for us. In fact, if you compare the two people that betrayed Jesus amongst other people, but two people that are highlighted in the Bible, Judas and Peter, both of them betrayed Jesus. One sold him for silver and one denied him three times. But what happened in, in earlier in John, Jesus prayed. Satan has wanted to sift you like wheat but I have prayed that you may endure. And I wonder if Jesus does that same thing for us. The times that I feel like I am am on the edge of entering sin, yet Jesus is there continually praying for me that I would endure. And so what's cool about this is it really allows us to see the heart of God, that he is for his glorification, but that also means that he's for you because he loves you. So what's so encouraging to me about that is it should never be like, oh, I don't know if I should ask God for this, or I think that's kind of dumb, or this is stupid. No, God wants to hear from us, and in fact, he is right there with us, praying for us, knowing what we really need. I used to think, uh, it's funny because I I listened to the radio, especially throughout high school, and one radio station uh, was talking about God for whatever reason, but they're not a Christian station. And one of the guys is talking about how he's Catholic and he raised in a Catholic background. He was telling telling the audience how it made sense to him that the Catholic Church prayed to to different saints, and that's because he's like, you know, I figure God the Father's kind of busy up there; he has all these prayers to attend to. So you you pray to the same with a specific like specialized area of life. You know, this one deals with death. This one deals with healings and whatever and then they just direct it to God so they they know how to bring it before God the Father and in his mind it made perfect sense but what he was missing is you know we are not some distant relative coming before uh, a holy God but we are his son we are adopted as his his children his brother his adopted sons and daughters so it's like you coming before this high royal king but you are a prince and you are a princess so let us not forget that, that Jesus himself is the one who intercedes. We don't have to go through anyone else. So all that to say, let's read verse 1. And let's hear what Jesus prays. Jesus spoke these words, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory I had with you before the world was. You see, this is the hour that the book of John has been alluding to this entire time. It always talked about my hour is not yet come, my hour is not yet come, but now the, uh, the hour has finally come, and Jesus prays for God the Father to finally glorify him. Now imagine us praying that prayer. Lord, glorify me. Oh geez, you don't want to pray that. Why is that? Well, If we're praying for our glorification, we're praying for our glorification at the cost of God's glory. We're effectually robbing God of what he rightly deserves. And at the same time, even though we may not ask God for that, we seek our own glory all the time, don't we? I mean, even just think about social media. I mean, when I was a teenager and we had MySpace, (laughs) ha. I remember all the silly things people used to experiment with just because, like, you didn't have any experience with social media. You didn't know it was taboo. Now it's, like, taboo if you're you're posting selfies all the time and whatever. But that was, like, the new thing. Like, no one ever posted a selfie because you didn't even have, like, a, a handheld camera because all the cameras were really expensive. Like, my first cell phone was the first of any of my friends that had a color screen. And my friends were like, oh, my gosh, a color screen. And you could get a camera attachment for 30 more dollars if you bought this attachment and you'd have to plug it into your phone (laughs) it wasn't that long ago I guess but and when you think about it in those terms it's like people didn't take selfies all the time because you didn't have a camera and I remember when I was I actually still have this picture but my very first selfie was using a scanner we had for my computer and I just scanned my face (laughs) I was like whoa this is awesome (laughs) um but people would always post like for likes and comment on my picture and people want as many friends as possible. Now you don't really see that as much maybe on Instagram followers and whatever. But people are always looking to, to up their status and for people to recognize them. But whenever we seek to glorify ourselves, even if you don't do that in social media, you may do that in other means. You may dress a certain way, especially ladies, may dress a certain way to attract attention to draw people's minds on on them, to focus on them and to give them glory that they think they deserve or that they're worth. Same thing with guys. It may not be through looks, but it might be through showing off, you know, especially like when I used to play basketball, like making sure people are watching like I'm making shots and whatever, doing dumb things or playing Dance Dance Revolution. Anyone remember Dance Dance Revolution? Oh, my time has passed. I used to be really good at it. I used to do competitions and I'd show off. And then I, and once I realized that the only people playing Dance Dance Revolution were geeks, then I stopped playing. I was like, you know what? This makes sense why I'm still single because everyone who's playing around me is a dork. So I stopped. Anyway, whenever we seek to glorify ourselves, we rob God of what's rightfully His. I remember back when I was in, uh, at Monmouth University, I was asked to do an interview because my major was journalism and we used to write things for the Monmouth uh, University paper. There was one story about this girl who said that her song was stolen by Kesha. And I didn't even know who Kesha was at that moment. I didn't know how big she was, but she was convinced that Kesha stole her song. So I looked up her and, and you know, her song and tried to get the backstory on everything to do an interview with her and I thought it was dumb. But maybe I should have done it. Either way, this girl was upset because Kesha robbed her of what she thought she deserved. But you see, Jesus seeking for himself to be glorified was not sinful or proud. It was the will of the Father because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And by people knowing the expression of God's glory in Jesus Christ, they know eternal life. And that's what it says in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So it's, an, it's important to know just how Jesus was glorified. When Jesus is praying this prayer that he would be glorified, realize that when he's high and lifted up, that was to be lifted up on a cross, and that what the world would see as shameful and disgraceful was actually the place where he would receive the most glory. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Jesus' glory was in his humiliation. And would it be different for us as followers of Christ? Would it be any different? Some of us think, if I become famous, then Jesus will become famous. This is great. Like, God needs your help. Really. No, 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 God, this will work out. Trust me. Like, if I, like, just think of all the opportunities. I would spend my money so much better than all those rich people. Like, I would do such, I, I would post, like, a status every day saying, like, glory be to God or whatever you want. You know, this is a good deal for you, God. But God doesn't need your glory. And in fact... If Jesus himself was glorified in his humiliation, how much more his followers? Mark chapter 10, verse 43, Jesus said, Yet it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So that's why it's important at this moment to recognize the mission of the church. What is the mission of the church? What is our purpose, in other words? As believers in Christ, you know the church isn't a building. It's it's a person. You know, it's a bunch of people put together, followers of Jesus. What is our mission? Well, our mission is to glorify God on the earth. Now the question pops up, how do we do that? How do we glorify God on earth? Because sometimes we have these terminologies. Like, I just want to surrender to the Lord. What does that mean? I want to glorify God in everything. Okay, what what do you actually expect that to look like? How do we practically glorify God on the earth and make that our mission? Well, I'm reminded of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Where the command was issued, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, if that's not glorifying God, I don't really know what is. A person who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, and with all their strength. But what does that mean? How can you love God with your heart? How can you love God with your soul, and how do you how do you love God with your strength? Well, I'm gonna give you three things on three practical ways. On how to do that number one and they all begin with the letter r number one to love the lord your god with all your heart means that you ruminate the word of god who knows what ruminate means all right ivan grunthal i just invented a new word no i just i'm using a word that no one uses but it starts with an r and the rest of them start with r so i made that start with r great ruminate means to yes Evan says it's like when a chow chews its cud. Yes. So <laughs> ruminate means to think about deeply, to chew it over, in other words. <laughs> yes. So to love the Lord your God means to allow God's Word to be so rooted inside of your heart that you're thinking about it deeply. And that's what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So when the word of God is in your heart, that's how you can love the Lord your God with all your heart. I mean, that's what the, the sole focus and your passion is the word of God. That means memorizing scripture. That means being in the Word daily. That means doing your devotions. That means letting God be the focus of everything that you do. Uh, Some of the best times, just honestly, that I've ever experienced in my life with the Lord have been times that I woke up before anyone else. I either went to the beach, went to the desert, or went to the mountains. I'm not making that up. I've done all three of those things. Beach, desert, mountains a solitude place and when you turn 17 maybe like you should ask your parents but like don't just drive to the desert mom alan said to go to the desert by myself here i go (laughs) no ask your parents go somewhere alone even if it's your backyard before anyone else is awake no distractions and then just seek the lord take an hour and just say lord what do you want with my life how would you like me to glorify you? Those have been the the sweetest times. Like I shared this not too long ago, but when I went all the way to the mountains where I usually go rock climbing, I didn't bring any pads or anything, hiked by myself and it was like, it was only me for like a mile in any direction. I was on top of a mountain, doing my daily devotions and just reading out loud the word of God. And it was like echo out there and no one else was there. So I wasn't like, you know, weirded out. But it was just such a sweet time. And if you're missing out on that, you're missing out on one of the most life-giving things that you'll experience in this lifetime. Secondly, so to love the Lord your God with all your soul means that you remember that you're a visitor. So firstly, ruminate the word of God in your heart. Secondly, remember that you're a visitor. That's how you love the Lord your God with all your soul. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 says, If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ uh, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here's a great example that I heard a pastor Skip Heidsick share not too long ago. We need to remember that our identity, our soul, is rooted in Christ Jesus, not anywhere else. And that means that our home is not on the earth, it's in heaven. So while we're here on this earth, we are just visitors. And if you're a visitor, you're not going to plan to be here very long. So the illustration was, if you're at an airport, no one is at an airport just to be at the airport. I mean, you have some nice things there. You have those little shops. You have overpriced water and soda and, and you know, popcorn that you can buy or whatever you want to get. But no one makes their home in an airport. No one goes into the bathroom and says, you know what? This is really not- I'm going to start redecorating in here. I'm just going to start, like, you know, putting out a carpet. I'm going to put a bed here right under the urinal. Why don't we do that? That's because everyone understands an airport is just a place of temporary transition. You're only there for a short time and you're gonna get on a plane and get out. So it should be with our lives here on this earth. Why are we getting so comfortable? Why are we concerned about our future and financial security and need to go which college we're going to and a job and a career and a family and whatever? Let the Lord worry about those things Be concentrating on the fact that you are a visitor. Your identity is not here on this earth. It's, it's, It's up in heaven, in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So remember that you're a visitor. Thirdly, to love the Lord with all your strength means that you regard your possessions as tools. Regard your possessions as tools. So firstly, ruminate the word of God in your heart. Secondly, remember you're a visitor. And thirdly... Regard your possessions as tools. Luke chapter 16 verse 9 says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Pastor Lloyd says this all the time from the pulpit. Everything you have will either be a tool or an idol. The more time you invest in things, the more you start to figure those things in the equation of your life. At first, photography was just a hobby, but the more money I'd spend doing it, the more I'd, I'd spend my free time looking up videos on how to be a better photographer, or look up uh, pictures of what everyone else is doing, the more time I'd invest into those things, the more I started to figure maybe this is, this is what I'm meant to be. Maybe this is a career path for myself. It just happens with anything you invest your time, energy, and money in. So that's why we are to regard all of our possessions as tools. Objects through which we can reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is something that is so freeing. Because when you see your possessions as tools, your objects as your tools, you'll use all of your strength to take what you have and worship God with it. So now it's no longer a career. Now it's just... temporary transition you remember you're a visitor so while you're here on this earth i'll use this as long as i can for the glory of god i'll use music i'll use photography i'll use soccer i'll use basketball i'll use whatever i got while i'm here to glorify god and that's exactly how we do it you love the lord with all your heart soul and strength and by doing those three things you ruminate god's word in your heart which means you're dwelling on it deeply You remember that you're a visitor, and thirdly, you regard your possessions as tools. If you do that, you can live a detached life on this earth, knowing the mission of Christ is to be here to win souls for God. But that is not our end goal. While your mission is here to win souls, your ultimate mission is to glorify God. Not to evangelize. The reason why we evangelize is just because people are not glorifying God. But our end goal is not just to evangelize. Because then it's just, yeah, I did my duty. I did whatever I had to do. No, but our, our mission is to make sure, our ultimate mission, that is, is to make sure that God is glorified. And because people are not worshiping God, we have to go out there and show them. Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress. How many people have have read Pilgrim's Progress in a lifetime? It's one of the most popular stories in the entire world. But there's this little segment in Pilgrim's Progress talking about the enchanted ground where the two travelers, Christian and hopeful, are traveling through the enchanted ground. And they're having a conversation with each other. And one of them gets really sleepy he says, oh, I'm getting kind of drowsy. Maybe we should take a nap. And the other one says, no, we can't do that. We have have a mission. We have to go somewhere right now. But he says, but think about it. We'll be so refreshed. Like how many of you have ever taken a power nap and you just feel amazing afterwards? I took a 20-minute power nap before I came here. I just felt so good. I needed it. And some of us, we just were like, if I just take 10 minutes and then it turns into like five hours, you're like, oh, my day is gone now. And so while they're in in this enchanted ground, one says, well, we'll we'll feel so refreshed. We'll feel so much better if we just sleep here for a little bit. But then the other one reminds them, listen, this this ground is under a curse so that people that fall asleep never wake up. And so the other guy's like, oh, man, I'm so thankful I have you to remind me of that. Otherwise, I would have completely just fell into that temptation. And one of the biggest challenges for Christians is that they forget their mission because they get comfortable in the world. And that's why we need to be iron sharpening iron. We need other brothers and sisters to come alongside each other to continually remind us, hey, you look kind of tired right now. Let me remind you of what God has done for you so that you can keep on running your mission and you don't stay here and you never wake up. But we need the church to continually do that for each other so that we don't fall asleep. All right, verse 14, moving right along. Or, no, we have to go to verse nine, sorry. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the sudden perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not. Of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So, a very large portion here. But remember, this is all under the context of Jesus just praying this beautiful prayer for his people. And so that he could be glorified. But he not only prays for his disciples, but he prays for us, as we're going to see in the next couple of verses. But Jesus clearly prays here that the Father should not take his people out of the world. And we have to just stop and think for a second, why? Like if Jesus, if you're, let's just imagine You're in the worst moment of your life possible. Like, you have all this suffering, all this difficulty, and Jesus prays for you to stay there. Why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense. But we have to remember that while we are still in this world, it's because Jesus still wants to use us. And we can't get weighed down with the difficulties and tribulations, as we learned last week, in this world, we'll have tribulations, but be of good cheer because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. But Satan wants you to feel weary. Satan wants you to feel weighed down and, and all the difficulties on your shoulders so that you don't have that heavenly focus. So you have to look at what we're at the situation we're in, living in the world, yet not being part of the world, And you have to ask yourself, are you living in the world or are you living in a bubble? Are you truly being sent into the world and being light for Jesus Christ? Because some of us might be in a situation, especially if you're in Christian school, you may feel like, well, I don't know any unsaved people. Well, Jesus prayed that the Father wouldn't take them out of the world, but to keep them in the world. And this, remember, is the evil world that Jesus is talking about. Why would he pray that? Because we are on a mission to glorify God, which means our focus is to bring other people that don't know Christ to the saving knowledge of Christ. But as we live in the world, we need to constantly remember that we are not a part of the world. And some people, unfortunately, become Uh, complete Christian pacifists. In other words, they only speak peace and they don't want to get any fights and let's not argue with one another and let's not debate and oh, I don't want to be on bad terms with anyone. You don't stand up in class. You know, your teacher might say something or against Christianity flippantly or maybe you're even in Christian school and your friends are saying something dumb. You know, it's like inappropriate but you don't want to stand up because you don't want to like stand out. But you see, that's exactly why Jesus put us in the world. We are to be in the world, but he still prays for us to be sanctified by his truth. What does it mean to be sanctified? Someone raise your hand and you tell me, what does it mean to be sanctified? Kenny. Yes. Set apart for a special purpose. Has there been any time in the Bible when people were set apart for a special purpose? Can you think of one example of people that were set apart for a special purpose? Aaron. The Jews in the Old Testament. You'll probably encounter, especially if you go to a secular college or you go to a public school, you have people come up to you and say, why are there so many dumb rules in the Bible and the Old Testament and talks about like not chewing the cud and whatever, the hooves, do not muzzle an ox when it treads the grain. Like what is all that about? And it's explained very simply by saying the Jewish people were to be set apart from any other people group in the entire world because they were governed by God himself. And that was to show them very distinctly, even down to the way they dressed, so that people would know these are the people that are set apart for God's special purpose. And although we're not dressing in a weird way, we're not going to wear like those, I love Jesus, you know, hats, I mean, like, if you want to, that's great. But we're not commanded to because we're to be sanctified in our hearts. And our lives are to be set apart for that special purpose that God has for us. But let me ask you, is there any part of your life that you can say, I have set this part of my life as, as a special purpose for the Lord? I have sanctified, I have set apart my morning, my evening, the middle of my day, whenever I have set apart this special part of my day to be holy, holy and a a special purpose before the Lord? I've set apart my social media. I will not use this for any other purpose than to glorify the Lord. Have you sanctified an area of your life? Have you sanctified your life and said that I want to be used by the Lord? You know, that's up to you. You have the choice whether or not you will be usable before the Lord. It's just just like... um, you know, the prophet Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. God is looking for those kinds of people that will be loyal to him. The, peop- the kinds of people that are saying, Lord, I want to be used by you and I want to be holy for you are holy. But what are some of the, the ways that we blend into the world? What are some of the ways that we lose sight of, of things and we start to look like the world? Well, it talks about it in Philippians chapter three, verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you before, and I, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they're really enemies of the cross of Christ and they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So three things in that that little passage. Number one, they're slaves to their desires. Secondly, their speech is corrupt. And thirdly, their mindset is on earth. So this is Paul the Apostle writing this letter to a church who he says there are certain people in the church that are slaves to their desires, meaning they don't have self-control. They act just like the world, whether it be sexual appetites and they do the exact same things as the world does or whether it's, it's your speech and you brag about shameful things, you brag about girls that you're getting or you brag about things that you've done in your life, even sinful behavior. Or thirdly, your mindset is just only on earth. You only think about this lifetime. You only think about your career and your ambitions and and your future. And you're not thinking about the mission that God has for you. And let me just say this. If you're only concerned about your mission, you'll always be confused about what your mission is. Earthly mission, that is. Let me rephrase that. If you're only concerned about your life here on this earth, you're always going to be confused about what your mission is. Because you won't know what God has called you to do. You're just defining your own mission. You're defining your own way of doing things. So as we live in this world, if you are a Christian, the world will always hate you because you are not of the world. You're a visitor. You don't belong here. I mean, how many people show up at the Jersey Shore and you get mad at them like, oh, they're not from around here. They're visitors. We don't like them tourists. You don't belong here. How many of us do that all the time? Well, the world should hate us. We shouldn't try to blend in the world and just be like, well, I'm trying, you know, I curse every now and then so I can relate with my homies. No, you're not relating with your homies. Why should you be homies with darkness? You shouldn't. If you think about disease, when it enters your body, there are antibodies to fight off that disease. If it's a virus, if it's some kind of bacteria, there will always be antibodies that form to fight against. Something that's foreign to the body. In some case, we should be viruses in the body of the world. It's probably a bad analogy. But the point is, antibodies should always fight against us. We should always have people that are in opposition. We should always have people that don't like us. This is the way it is. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. One of my favorite verses. Because if you don't understand what that means, it's just really confusing. You're like, the loins of your mind. All right. I don't know what that means. Well, basically, it's just talking about, back in those days, you would wear, it's basically like a dress, but you're a dude, and like, you had a robe, and you had to like, it would always drag on the floor, and so you would gird it up when you had to run. So what he's talking about, I'm butchering this so bad, what he's talking about is you have all these loose threads in your mind. They're all over the place throughout the day. What am I going to eat? Where am I going to go tomorrow? Who am I going to hang out with? Homework, whatever. All these loose, loose threads. And it says to gird those up, to gather them together, and to be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the formulas, as in your ignorance, but as obedient children... As he who had called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. Don't worry about what the world is doing. Rest your hope fully upon the grace as be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which means you're set apart by the word of God. Let's go to verse 20. And this is where we're going to finish up for today. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world O righteous father the world has not known you but I have known you and these have known that you sent me and I have declared them to them your name and will declare it that the love which with which you love me may be in them and I in them what I love about this verse and this might be a verse that you want you might want to underline in your bible is verse 20 where he, he says I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word who are those people that's you and me just think about that for a second Jesus when he is at his last moments before he was betrayed was thinking about you in a very real sense and prayed for you in a very real sense and for all the things that we could ask for I asked you in small groups to talk about if there's anything you could ask for what would it be Jesus could have prayed for anything for us and what did he pray for he prayed for our unity and this is so important because he actually says in verse 21 that they may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me You see, the reason why he prays for unity is so that our unity would bring the world to Jesus. We are to be so unified, so loving towards one another that other people see our unity and want to be part of our family. But what does unity actually look like? What does it actually mean? We talk about unity like we've talked about a lot of abstract concepts today. Does unity mean that we all dress the same? And we're all like, let's all like shave our beards and wear Christian tattoos and Jesus loves me sweaters and we'll coordinate. We'll wear black and white on Mondays and we'll wear rainbows on Tuesdays. Is that what unity means? Does unity mean that we all talk the same way? What does it actually mean? Have you ever thought about that? Well, unity doesn't mean that we're identical. Philippians chapter 2 says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You see, that's the key. Unity means being like-minded, one accord, and having the same love. And by doing that, our unity is of mind, love, and purpose. We're all gained together and we're all unified because we are all seeing the same thing. We're all unified under the same mission of Jesus Christ. Now, there will be divisions sometimes, which can be healthy. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul basically just says, there are lukewarm Christians in your church. He actually says, it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Like how embarrassing must that have been for the church of Corinth? Can you imagine Jesus saying that about our church? It seems like when you guys gather on a Sunday or on a Friday, there's actually more harm than good done when you guys get together. May it not be so with us, but why would there be some good divisions? Well, there's good divisions if you are separating yourselves from people that call themselves Christians yet are not Christians. You're not to unify under any cost or at any cost, we're to unify under the love and mindset and purpose of Jesus Christ. So if you have friends that are Christians, quote-unquote, but they're not acting like it and they're not living like it, no need to judge them and be like, oh, well, that person's not really a Christian, whatever. Just simply separate yourself from that person because unifying with them might cause you to fall asleep as well. If you just surround yourself with a bunch of people that are in that that forest, and that ground, uh, that enchanted ground in Pilgrim's Progress, and you're surrounding yourselves with people that are saying, hey, let's just take a nap, then you're going to take a nap too. You need to surround yourselves with people saying, no, we have a mission. We have to go somewhere, and this place is not our home. Let us not get comfortable. Now, something else I want to bring up is the definition of clicks. Are clicks bad? And maybe you guys talked about that in your small groups? Well, actually, the definition of a clique, according to the Urban Dictionary—no, according to just testing to see if you're awake—Merriam-Webster uh, is a clique is a small, exclusive group of people. So, are cliques good or bad? If it's a small, exclusive group of people, and I was talking about it in my group, because they're like, "Oh, it's bad." I was like, "Really? If it—if it's a clique is a small, exclusive group of people—are all cliques bad?" Because, I guess technically, you have to ask the question, well, what defines small? Is this a small group compared to the size of the world? Is impact one big click? And is this bad? I mean, we have all kinds of different small sets of people. The Trinity! Are they a clique? <laughs> Just because they're excluding people? No. It says, I will not share my glory with another. Um, it's discipleship home groups. Are they a big clique? You have different cliques. We have to stop that. Eliminate all cliques because all cliques are bad. Anytime you hang out with your friends, you're like, well, there's three of us hanging out. We're basically a clique right now. We, we can't have that." So let's invite 50,000 people. All right. Now, we have to understand a little bit about what we mean when we say cliques are bad. Because some people come to youth group and like, oh, the youth group's too clicky, I can't get along or whatever. Well, some small sets of groups are good if they are set aside for a specific purpose. Like you hear Pastor Lily talk all, a lot about all the time uh, how you need a Paul and you need a Timothy. You need people older than you that will mentor you and people younger than you that you can disciple. But you need fellowship with all kinds of different people. So there'll be people that you just naturally click with better than others. And you know what? That's okay as long as the purpose of you guys getting together is so that you can carry out your ministries better with one another and the mission of God. So it's never exclusive just for the sake of being exclusive. It's exclusive so that you can carry out the mission of God better. So you all need to be a part of, in some sort, a clique, a small set of groups of people. You all need like three or four guys or girls that you just roll with That you'll go through anything with in life. and You can always call at any time. You need those people. You need accountability partners. And the fact of the matter is you just cannot be accountable with 500 people. You can't be like, well, we don't have any small groups. So we're just going to make. No, you all need a small group. As long as that small group is so that you guys can function better to serve the Lord. And it's never just about like, well, we just can't allow people. Like I'm getting together with uh, some of my really close guy friends once a month, we've made a pact that once a month, we're going to get together and make it our mission to just talk about Jesus once a month. Because there came a point in time where, like, we were hanging out all the time, and then they got married and started having kids and whatever, and you lost that fellowship. And so now we want to get together and make sure that we continue those things so that we're also stirring one another up to love and good deeds. So more so, I would challenge you this, to find your niche, A niche is a place where you can best serve others and serve the Lord. Either way, we're all to be unified, whether you're in a small group or a large group, it doesn't matter. The purpose is that we are unified in our mindset and love. And that that love helps others uh, come to the knowledge of God because they see how unified we are. And it doesn't matter if you're like young, you're old, you know, because some people just want to get together with people that only like the same things that they do or only function in a certain way and that's not healthy too. You need to be part of a a small group of people that like maybe all play basketball and whatever but you also need some people that you don't necessarily know and whatever because maybe those people might have things in common with you that you didn't know before and they're going to challenge you and stretch you in a new way. So either way whatever you do don't look at clicks as, you know, being a deterrent from youth group or whatever, because that's one of the things that people always say. But more so, how can I best serve the Lord using a small set of people or a large set of people? So in conclusion, as Jesus prayed for the, the one thing to be about us, the unity about us to be, to be so evident to the world, we're here to pray that same thing too, that the world believes based on what they see in the church. Just imagine what it would look like if the entire church, the entire body of Christ worked together for the mission of God. Imagine what we could do, what we could change. If just people got sold out for Jesus and they're like, man, I just want to see God glorified on this earth and I'm going to spend my time because I'm a visitor, uh, because I love the word of God, and you know, I just want to make that my mindset every single day. So with that, all that to say, um, As we're closing out the book of John, very, very shortly, we got a couple chapters left, 18, 19, 20, and 21. Remember, we're going through the word of God verse by verse, which means there will be certain passages and and things that will challenge you and stretch you. But the purpose of coming to church is to learn more about God. And sometimes there will just be times that you're just like, I don't know what this has to do with anything. Unity? I didn't come to learn about unity. Unity? Well, maybe it's not for now. Maybe this is a message for you for next week. Or maybe you're going to go to school next week and you're going to see a lot of disunity. I don't know if that's a word. I just made it up. So sue me. Um, You're going to see a lot of people separated. And you're going to have to apply some of these things. So are you taking notes? Are you writing these things down and you're just like, "Eh, well, I pretty much got the whole thing. He just said something about the Bible. I got it i got in the back of my i'm ready ready to go you know to be a good student of the word means that you you come with that open expectation that god's going to use it in some sort of fashion and so application of this entire message looking to bless other people to bring people uh, to the saving knowledge of christ the mission of the church um is the blessing blitz starting this wednesday so don't forget that to tune in on tuesday 7 p.m go on to the website and see what the Lord does. And, you know, I'm, I'm expecting a lot of exciting things, a lot of exciting stories. And hopefully, you guys will have these conversations with each other to be stirring each other up. So when you leave here today, I pray that you find a person and you say, hey, man, are you doing the blessing blitz starting on Tuesday? So that you can hold each other accountable to make sure that you're gonna go through the challenge. Because I will guarantee you, some of these things that I'm gonna put on the objectives will challenge you But it's good to be challenged, I think. 30-day gospel challenge, hashtag. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Let's pray.